0: You're listening to the Renovation Student Ministry Podcast. For more information on RSM, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our student pastor, Gabe Pecoraro. In the beginning. That's where it started, right? So if we look at the Old Testament, we need to recognize that there was a beginning to this earth, this thing. We know that God is eternal. We know that God is outside of time, which is kind of confusing to think about. It's just weird, how can you do that? But we know that if you look at the beginning of of your Bible in Genesis chapter one and chapter two, we see the creation of the earth, right? And what do we see? We see that God was the author, he was the creator of all things. And we see that God's spirit was hovering over the waters and, as, and we'll talk about this a little bit tomorrow night, but we also see that Jesus was present in all of this too. So from the beginning, we know that God was creator and that there was a trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? And as we continue to read through the creation story in Genesis chapter one and, and in chapter two, we see that in Genesis 1, we know that we were created, the human race, in the image of God. And in Genesis chapter two, it talks about how we were created. We were created when God took dust and breathed into the dust. And then we were made. A pretty incredible feat, if you ask me, right? Only God can do that. And we know that for some undefined amount of time, Adam and Eve walked with God in the Garden of Eden. They walked with him, they had community, they had relationship with him. We see this in Genesis chapter three, which we'll get to in a second. But God, in some sort of form, literally walked like a human with Adam and Eve. How crazy is that? They were able to talk to him. And we see that God was a fan of the cool of the day, okay? So all y'all hot natured people out there, all y'all hot weather lovers, recognize Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day, okay? Amen, amen. We are gonna rebuke the sweat in the name of Jesus. It already smells like onions in here, okay? So, creation, right, Genesis one and two. And then we see this story in Genesis three, where sin enters into the picture. Because God told man they can do whatever in the garden. He gave Adam the task of of kind of uh, tending to the plants and to the animals, except one thing. What was that one thing that God told Adam and Eve they could not do, do y'all know? Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? Or they would surely die. And in Genesis chapter three, we see that Adam and Eve proceed to be deceived by the serpent who says, are you sure that you're gonna die? Did God really say that? And eventually, they're deceived and they eat of the fruit. And what do we know? We know that their eyes immediately were opened and they recognized that they were naked. And then shame entered the picture. And what did shame do to Adam and Eve? It made them wanna hide from God because sin separates us from God. Because God is holy and he is perfect and cannot be in the presence. And so as people, Adam and Eve wanted to flee. And that's what they did. They ran and they hid from God. And as God was walking through the garden, he asked, and when God asked a question, he knows the answer to that question. But he was like, where's Adam and Eve? And they eventually said that they're hiding. They come out to God, and and he asked them what happened, and, and they said they ate of the fruit. And then because of this sin, God pronounces a sentence. First, to the serpent, the devil who deceived. And what's that sentence? That one day, there is going to be someone who will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. And so God, in the presence of the devil and all of humanity, pronounces this sentence. That there is already a plan in play. And that's in the third chapter of the first book. Our God is intentional. And then he tells man and woman that because of this, you are no longer going to be able to be in the garden. You've got to get out. Man is gonna have to deal with struggling with the soil, struggling with the ground to make a living. And woman, in childbirth, and bringing life into the world, it's gonna really stink. And so they're removed from the garden, never to return again. And what do we know about sin? We know that sin separates us from God. And after that first sin, it continued to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. We see that the life God was able to breathe into us in the garden, the very next chapter in Genesis 4, that life was taken away because Cain killed Abel. And then we see that sin continued to abound. We see that people were killing people, people were lying people, people were deceiving, people were raping, people were doing terrible, 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 gruesome things throughout all of scripture. And why? Because this sin corrupted humanity's hearts. And in the midst of that sin, in the midst of all this, in Genesis chapter 15, God decided to pick this man, Abraham, who at the time wasn't worshiping God, was worshiping a bunch of other gods. And he told Abraham, I want you to go to a land that I will show you. And Abraham believed and trusted in God. And then God gives him this promise. He says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all the people on earth will be blessed through you. And what was crazy about this promise is at the time, Abraham's wife, she couldn't get pregnant. They'd been trying and she couldn't. And what makes it even worse, Abraham's wife was really old, like way past the age to be able to have kids. And so this was a confusing promise. And eventually, Abraham sees God's faithfulness in the fact that his wife actually gives birth. God allows her that, that to happen. God, God makes that happen. But then there's still this promise that one day from the line of Abraham would become a blessed nation. And this sin continues to happen and continues to happen and continues to happen. And eventually, the descendants of Abraham would wind up in captivity to the Egyptians. And this man named Moses would lead them out of captivity. God would do some crazy things, right? He brought this plague of frogs, he brought a plague of boils, brought a plague of flies. And the last plague, right, was killing the firstborn sons. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh baby, let my people go, woo! And that's what happened, right? Moses led the people out. And after that, began this period in in what we call the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, known as the law. And what was that? Moses, with all his friends, the Israelites, would leave Egypt and Moses would go up to meet with God on this place called Mount Sinai. And on Mount Sinai, God would talk to Moses and he gave him a covenant. He said that eventually if the people would obey God, they would become a treasured possession, a holy nation, and a kingdom of priests to God. But God gave Moses some rules that were kind of like terms to this agreement. And some of the rules had to do with the people's relationship to God and their relationship to other people, what we see known as the Ten Commandments today, And there was also some rules that had to do with ritual purity and things that kind of separated them from the other nations around them. Even things about how you're supposed to clean and how you're supposed to have good hygiene. And what do we know? We know that as soon as Moses came down from the mountain, the people had already broken the first command. And what was that command? You were to have no other gods before me. And when Moses gets down the mountain, the Israelites were worshiping a golden calf because they got bored, because they thought that God had already abandoned them. And throughout the next couple of books of the Bible, we see that God would give the people rules and then they would break them. So in order to keep them from breaking those rules, there'd be more rules that were added. And then the people would break those rules again. And then more rules would be added again. And then those rules would get broken. And you guys see the pattern? So one day equals 613 laws. That's a hard thing to remember, let alone actually obey, right? How many of you guys feel like you got 613 rules you gotta follow at your house? Well, y'all need to stop acting up. Anyways, let's bring it back, bring it back. So they get to this point where there is 613 laws. And that's in those first five books of the Old Testament. They're known as the Torah. And at the very end in Deuteronomy chapter 30 and moving forward throughout the rest of Deuteronomy, Moses gives this speech to the people. And he says, listen, you guys need to remember The reason that we have all these things is to bring us closer to God. But this is what I know because God actually told me this, that you as a people are gonna continue to rebel against God. You're going to continue to choose to follow and serve anything but God. It's just gonna continue to happen. Why? Because your hearts are hard. You see, this is not an obedience issue. This is a heart issue. This is not behavior modification. This is a deep inner working that needs to happen in you. And Moses tells the people this in Deuteronomy chapter 30. And then throughout the the next few books of the Old Testament, it's this period known as the Judges and the Kings. And what do we see throughout the Judges and the Kings? We see stories of how the Israelite people continued to neglect the rules that they were given. And then they would realize that they messed up, and so they would ask for forgiveness. They would come back to God, and God would forgive them. And then they would feel like they're doing good. They would feel like they're doing good. Remember when Jeffrey spoke a couple of weeks ago and he's like, sometimes you know, you'll know you pray to God for something. God, help me to do a good job on this test. Or, or God, help me to whatever, whatever. And then it happens and then you're like, man, I killed that. As soon as the thing starts going good, we neglect the fact that maybe it was God who gave us the ability to do it and put it on ourselves. And so that's what happens with the Israelite people. They keep screwing up, they keep messing up. And then they ask God for forgiveness. God forgives them, God blesses them, and then all of a sudden it's all on them. Back and forth and back and forth. And then come the prophets. And what do we know about the prophets? We know there's 15 books of the prophets. There's three major, there's 12 minors, and they're all kind of happening in this kings and judges period. And we know that prophets were people who delivered God's message to others. So they spoke on behalf of God. And the way that a prophet would be proved to be a prophet would be if their word actually became true, right? If somebody says, y'all ever seen Chicken Little? Please say you've seen Chicken Little. Well, is, is Chicken Little a good prophet? No, no. why? Because he, comes, he runs around saying, this guy is falling, this guy is falling, and the sky's not falling, right? That's how a prophet's worth was proven. If they say, "Hey, 10 years from now something's going to happen," they would be a good prophet if 10 years from now something happened. Does that make sense? And so these prophets lived in the period of the kings and the judges and they spoke on behalf of the of God to the people. And I'm going to talk about 3 tonight, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and Isaiah. We'll start with Ezekiel. And Ezekiel was commissioned. He was said he was a prophet when he was 30 years old, and he was called by God to call out the sins of Israel through his words and through actions. If you read the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel did some really weird stuff. I'll give you an example. For periods of one year, Ezekiel would tie himself up, lay on his side, and you gotta eat food, right? Ezekiel had to eat food cooked over poop. I'm being dead serious. Y'all think the Bible's boring? You ain't read it. That's just how it works. But here's the thing. Ezekiel, what was he doing? He was trying to call out the sin of the Israelite people. And so he would do it through illustrations. This is literally what you're doing to yourself. You are living life in a way that you're literally eating food over poop, that's how bad your actions are. And what do we know about Ezekiel? We know that eventually he has this vision of a temple and in this temple, all these people are worshiping all different kinds of gods and they forget to worship the one true God. And so God's presence, the one true God, leaves the temple and just goes somewhere else And then we see in the 11th chapter of Ezekiel that God gives this promise to Ezekiel that one day he would remove hard hearts and bring transformed hearts of flesh. And in chapter 37, Ezekiel has this vision of a valley of dry bones. You guys remember how Adam and Eve were created, right? How were they created? There was dust and then there was breath, right? What did God do? He breathed. And Ezekiel is in this vision is brought to this valley of dry bones. And what do we see? We see that this wind, this breath of God actually brings these bones to life to become a mighty nation. And what do we see? That the book of Ezekiel focuses on how God's spirit would one day change hard hearts for soft hearts. And he was... And, and, and this was the kind of main message. And then in Jeremiah, we see that he kind of focused on how God's commands would one day be written deep in the hearts of his people. So after they have this transformed heart of flesh, God's commandments would live in their heart. And obedience would no longer feel like a chore. Obedience would actually be a desire. Why? Because I recognize that not only is God creator, God loves me and I'm gonna choose to worship him. And so Jeremiah talks about this. He says, the days are coming, and this is him speaking on behalf of God, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. And it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my command, though I was a husband to them. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor to say to one another, know the Lord because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And lastly, Isaiah. He was another prophet who brought God's words to the people. And Isaiah talks a lot about this future Messiah, this future king. And in Isaiah chapter six, if you guys remember, we talked about that two weeks ago. Isaiah is brought to this holy throne room and has this vision. And Isaiah, in this vision, realizes that he is not worthy, that he is a man of unclean lips, and so are all the people. And he's purified by this burning coal. And the burning coal has a lot of significance because it's like this purifying fire How do you get crap out of gold, do y'all know? You burn it, right? You put it into a fire and all the impurity leaves and you're left with pure gold. And so God gives this vision later on in Isaiah and he tells him that the people of Israel, if you think about them and they're like a tree, they are one day gonna be cut down, chopped down by other nations. And all that's going to be left is a stump. And not only is it just going to be a stump, it's going to be a stump that was burned and is smoldering. You guys know like when uh, you're you're finishing up fire and you pour water on it and the wood is all charred and blacked and it's kind of smoky, that's all that's going to be left is a stump. And out of that stump is going to come this little shoot, this little branch, and it's called a righteous branch. And what does Isaiah talk about later on in the book? that this little shoot would one day be a Messiah. He's called a servant in the book of Isaiah. We see that he would rule for all time and over all things, but he would also suffer and be despised when he lived. He'd be ridiculed and mocked. And Isaiah focuses on how God promised a Messiah and a leader for all the people who will one day come but not without suffering in his life. And so why did I give you guys this really long history lesson that probably felt kind of boring and confusing and hard to follow? Well, I think ultimately the prophets in all of the Old Testament talks about how we as people are constantly in rebellion against God. And the thing that we are designed for, if we are created in God's image, we are designed for relationship. We are designed for relationship with Him. And as we continue to sin, which means to miss the mark, miss the bullseye, we continue to separate ourselves from God. And that's what the entire Old Testament points to. It points to our failed attempts to get right, our failed attempts to find peace, our failed attempts to find hope. That's what it does. And so I was, as I was praying through tonight, there was a couple of things that I wanted you guys to remember. The first thing is that we desperately need Jesus. We desperately need him. It is a dire need because without him, we will be separated from God. We desperately need the Messiah. And this is what I want you guys to recognize. If you look at the Old Testament and then you decide to live life your own way, you're literally going against thousands of years of history. Because if you read the Old Testament, you realize that when you decide to follow after things that are not God, you will not be fulfilled. You will not find life. So this fulfillment, this life, This need is not found in money or power or or likes on Instagram and TikTok or, or your prestige on COD or how many girls are your body count or whatever. I need you guys to recognize that we desperately need Jesus. The second thing that as I was thinking through tonight is that the remedy is to remember. What does that mean? That means that We have a sickness, right? There is something in us that needs to be healed. And medicine is a remedy. Medicine is, there's healing in it, right? And the medicine for our soul is to remember. Remember that God is purposeful. Remember that God is for you. Remember that God wants a relationship with you. And remember that every single time that we've tried to find fulfillment in something else, it hasn't met our need. So if you think the Old Testament is is hard to read because there's a lot of confusing names and there's a lot of death and destruction and there's a lot of things that it's like, man, why would God ever do this if he's a loving God? You know what? The Old Testament is hard to read. But I want you to recognize that the reason that the Old Testament is hard to read is because we have to read a story of people not chasing after Jesus. You need to recognize that if you find the Old Testament hard to read and you continue to rebel against God, your life story is gonna be hard to read. Why? Because if you're seeking fulfillment, if you're seeking peace, if you're seeking love towards other people, It's only found in Jesus. Again, we desperately need him. And the Old Testament shows us in the midst of all this, there was a plan. Genesis three, God said one day somebody's coming. All the prophets, one day somebody's coming. Look, look ahead, look ahead. There's something greater that's gonna happen. That's what the Old Testament is about. And this is what I wanna do. Because we, living after the Old Testament, living after Jesus died for us, recognize that, right? There was something that was gonna happen. The Old Testament people did not have that. They didn't, Jesus had not lived yet. In fact, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there was 400 years. It was called the silent period where literally nobody heard from God. They had it quiet. And this is what they had. They had the Old Testament scriptures, and this is one of them. It says, my servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. And he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. And we turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried and it was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal and he was put in a rich man's grave but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied because of his experience, my righteous servant would make it possible for many to be counted righteous for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for the rebels. And who was that about? That was about Jesus. Yet the people of the Old Testament didn't know. They had to sit with that. They had to sit realizing that without Jesus, without a Messiah, without a Savior, we are condemned. We cannot have it all together. And I know this is a really kind of gloomy way to start the weekend. But I want you guys to realize that without Jesus, we don't have it together. Without Jesus, we are separated from God. Without Jesus, we cannot have life abundantly here and life everlasting tomorrow. And my prayer for this weekend has been that as students, we would be able to leave this retreat center actually desperately seeking Jesus. Because I think life as people who uh, can live past the New Testament, who know that Jesus already died for us, can be really casually following Jesus. We can lean on him as a spare tire. We can lean on him as someone who can, we can throw the Hail Mary prayers up to him. We can uh, just, when things are going awful, we can seek him. And then for the rest of our life, we just don't worry about it. And I'm sorry, but that's not God's best for your life. And my prayer for you guys, my prayer for myself, is that we would recognize that the Bible is clear, that we are in dire need of Jesus. And we're not just in dire need of Jesus when things are really bad. We are in dire need of Jesus for our day-to-day decisions. We are in dire need of Jesus when we need the the confidence and we need the boldness to go sit next to somebody who's by themselves at the lunch table. We are in dire need of Jesus when we recognize that we are constantly fearful of living up to expectations. We are in dire need of Jesus when we realize, hey, there is a sin issue in my life and I cannot hide it anymore. I want you guys to recognize that life with Jesus is what we need. And so that's the goal of this weekend. Let's get rid of all the distractions. Let's put phones in a little bag and keep them away from us. And let's give intentional time to seek Jesus. Because when we seek him, we will find him. That's the goal for this weekend. And that's why we're starting in the Old Testament. Because if you don't realize your need for Jesus, you're not gonna seek Jesus. So before we respond in worship, I actually think it's this is gonna be kinda awkward. I think we do a really, really, really bad job as people of repenting. What does that mean? We do a terrible job of recognizing that there's something wrong in our life, actually, like naming that thing, and then turning from that thing. That's what repentance means. Repentance to repent is to be walking this direction and then to turn and start walking that direction. Does that make sense? So this is what I want us to do. Because I believe that oftentimes we try and seek Jesus, but there are strongholds and obstacles in our life that keep us from doing the best job of that. I want us to take a minute. Like you keep playing piano. I want you to sit with yourself. And I want you to ask God to search your heart. And if there's anything in your life that is keeping you from following him completely, I want you actually to write it down. And then I want you to ask God, or I want you to ask God to give you boldness to confess to others. Ask God to remind you of his forgiveness and heart towards you. And then to ask God for wisdom on how do I change this thing? And then we're going to continue to respond in worship. But let's take a minute to do that first. Thank you for listening to the Renovation Student Ministries podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.